Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2022. My name is Tori, they, them, and with me are Bella, she, her, and Galen, he, they. So as you may have noticed, a motto is not present with us today, uh, some scheduling stuff. So I'm going to be doing my best to guide us through the episode. Um, What's interesting is we are doing a special episode today. So this is doing a double duty for the podcast, for Retro Fanfic, also for my final project for my intro to counseling class, because I am studying to become an art therapist. So if there's, you know, everyone's going to be hearing it. It's all going to be good. <laughs> um, and I came up with an idea, which is we're going to kind of do therapy for Batman. Um <laughs> We're also going to be going back over an older fanfic that are that we read uh, for episode 144, Only One Can Wear the Crown by Anime Goyle that was published in 2011. Um, you can listen to that episode if you would like to hear other thoughts. We're going to be expanding on those thoughts and just talking generally about Batman as a character and kind of the whole DC animated universe and probably beyond. Batman Beyond. <laughs> Um, that sounds exciting. Yeah. Uh, Galen, what's your uh, what's your credentials on art and therapy? Well, I am happy to be back. First of all, and <laughs> we're happy yes. to have you. <laughs> Welcome back, Galen. We haven't had you on in so long. So long. This is fun to do for Tori's final. Um, I've been a art therapist for the past eight years. Right now, I'm taking a break to stay at home with the kids. And I've done a little bit of teaching during that time. Uh, but if you hear a child crying in the background, <laughs> that's because I'm here in my Brooklyn apartment and uh, life goes on while recording. But that's I've been okay. an art therapist for a while and I love learning more about art therapy. And I think the more that I learn about various methods and models of art therapy and counseling, the more I want to. So that's part of why I'm happy to be here. Yeah, no, that's great. So Galen's kind of on as our um, resident art therapy expert right. since I am new, and our, also because our talking head. <laughs> yeah, well, because Galen is is always a great has great um, opinions, and he did not get to talk about this particular Batman Beyond fanfic with us before, and it's one I it's one that's short. First of all, I wanted to account for time because I know about the you know the children, but also. Um, I don't know. I think it's it, it's got a lot of nuance in it. So, Absolutely. hey, um, Galen, what, what's your history with the Batman franchise? Well, I, you know, <laughs> when we were kids, um, Batman Beyond, actually the Batman animated series was on TV, mm -hmm. and I loved sort of the aesthetic of it yeah. and that sort of grim '90s sort of look, and that was, was like. 1950s by way of 1990s. <laughs> exactly. It was exciting. Yeah. And then I think there was a lot of excitement about Batman Beyond when it came out. So I think I watched most of that. I don't remember probably almost almost any of it. Probably 95% of it I forgot or it's deep in the recesses of my unconscious. So that's sort of exciting for this podcast. Do you remember though the one episode that everyone always remembers where at the very, like, someone's trying to drive Batman, old Batman crazy. And at the end, he, Terry's like, how did you figure out that 
you know, it, the voices in your head weren't you. And he's like, because in my head, I call myself Batman. Well, in my head, I don't call myself Bruce. Oh, yeah. I don't call myself Bruce. <laughs> I do remember. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. I love that. And I, I think uh, that's kind of a really good tangent into the fact that, like, Batman is such a ripe field for just talking about therapy or, you know, theories of counseling because Batman's one person who probably needs a therapist and will never get one. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think there's a lot there about masculinity, about violence and rationalization. And so, uh, yeah, lots to talk about. For sure. Um, so I did want to mention for anyone who didn't um, listen to our episode 144, I'm going to give a brief plot summary or Della can, uh, just so we know what we're talking about of this one particular fanfic, but we're going to expand on on Batman. No, I'm not. I'm not the art therapist here. I'm just here for eye candy. You, you go ahead and. Uh... It's, a plot. it's just the plot of the fanfic. I mean, Galen can tell us if he wants. You didn't get to talk about well, it I, before. Terry does a sweet flip. Oh, that's yeah. That basically sums it up. Yeah. I do think eye candy is vital for art therapy. Um, <laughs> but in short, in the fanfic, you have the old, older Bruce Wayne, who has his young protege. Harry, who is practicing some sweet moves in a kind some of a sway moves, sway <laughs> moves in a training simulation, and he, Harry, has chosen some of the original Robin's kicks and flips to try out on on Bruce to to see if they work. And my read, so I have a very different opinion. If you go back and re- listen to the past episode. Uh, y'all talk about how the old Bruce has a platonic sort of familial love for th- this for Dick, the original Robin, whose moves are being used by Terry. But I think if you look at some of the quotes in the fanfic, you see that actually he's reflecting on a deeper uh, sexual relationship with the original Robin in this fic. So, you see, something we talked about before was the language in this is um, I came up with the word sensual. And it is. um, Amato's take was that this is just because we're focusing so much on the body and that that's how Bruce kind of relates to the Robins is by their ability to move and their athleticism. But there are some pieces that you can pull out that just, I don't know, feel a little bit more like when Bruce says... um, the cave is war. The cave is cold, but Dick was warm. <laughs> it was yeah, uh, yeah, so, yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> I mean Dick, Dick Grayson, not like an actual Dick. Just to clarify. <laughs> yeah, for example, in the fanfic, it says that move, that pose. Bruce closes his eyes and reopens them. For someone who is not brought up doing acrobatics from diapers, as Dick was. Or learned them at a young age, like the Robins who followed. Harry was a surprisingly graceful acrobat. Under his own admission, Terry had been climbing walls and scaling buildings since he was old enough to sneak out from home. So that's sort of the context. But then he says, Harry McGinnis is not Dick Grayson. You'll never be able to make a treaty with gravity that allows him to bypass its laws without penalties the way Dick did. You will never be able to make Bruce's heart clench with sheer need and want and awe, right? So for me, it's that line that sheer need and want and awe mm. that sort of, and there's a couple yeah. other 
quotes like that. That is a fair analysis. And so, yeah, as we move through this, this is all, it's a thousand words. It's just all like Bruce reflecting on Terry's movement until we get to, and reflecting on his relationship with Dick um, and how Dick's just a phone call away, but how he's missing him, like, even though he's just a phone call away. And then we finally get to the end. And um, do you want to sum up the ending for us, Galen? Sure. So in the end, uh, Bruce essentially gets frustrated that with Terry and tells him not to make these moves anymore. He says, never do that again. Um, and Terry gets frustrated and asks, it's because they're his, isn't it? And the final line is, Bruce doesn't bother responding because in his head, Dick is smiling at Bruce, only Bruce, and settling back in his throne. So it sort of yeah. ends with the nostalgia again. Yeah. And then that's basically it. So I don't know. I think even someone who is not trying to become a therapist or is currently a therapist can understand why there is a lot of content here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Usually what you get with Batman and, and old Bruce Wayne is sort of the curmudgeon, the, the distancing in the persona. But in this fanfic, what I love about it is you get his internal life. You have a more of a poetic um, and queer internal life, which is an exciting contrast to Batman being so rigid. Yeah. And I don't think any of it doesn't feel like Batman. It's just like it shows those signs of, you know, his aging and he he gets these heart flutters, um, which are emotions, but then he attributes them to aging. And you're like, yeah, that sounds like something Batman would think. But we're almost never really inside Batman's head um, the way we are in this fan fiction. Yeah, we, we get a lot of these same sort of physical acting that we'd get in the show or a comic or any sort of represent, representation of Batman. A lot of the same movements, the, the head turns, but now we have the, the inner voice and the dialogue and it doesn't really seem to match. And the movements then change from like myster seeming mysterious to seeming um, um, avoidant mm. of like not only the other person, but their own feelings, turning away from people, turning away from thoughts and ideas. Yeah, he, yeah. he squashes it rather yeah. than staying in the moment and kind of allowing himself to, to feel nostalgic. Through his new protege, he clamps down. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's a good segue because what I kind of want to do here is I want to talk about a couple different therapeutic lenses, like or stances, different ways that you would treat therapy. So something um, that I think is a good categorization, or rather that you know I basically got from my instructor. Thanks, Justin. <laughs> um, that. When you're you're talking about a therapeutic lens, it uh, one of the main things is how do you um, how do you treat the problem? We call it the psychopathology. What is wrong for the client, right? So, for instance, like um, in one theory, it's like what's wrong might be maladaptive behaviors or um, bad modes of thinking, or it could be very existentialist and be like, well, this you know we haven't confronted the kind of uh, truths or the conditional truths of like how life is essentially meaningless and, you know, we're essentially alone, that sort of thing. Like the pathology would be separating the, um, 
symptoms and trying to get to the cause of these things. It's separating this. Yeah, I, I guess it depends on your lens because right. there is one called solution focused, which <laughs> like the psychopathology for that is just like if you have a cut, you don't think about how you got the cut, you put a Band-Aid on the cut. Um, so it's more like, yeah, I guess you're right. It is. It's sort of like the underlying cause of the problem. Right. But it definitely depends, I think, in a way on which therapeutic stance you're using. And I think we're going to talk about um, ones that are definitely more about internal life, like Jungian, uh, because it's fiction and because archetypes and because, yeah, and uh, existential, uh, existential humanistic, probably. Where was I going with that? <laughs> right, oh, just yeah. to say that theories of counseling, art therapy, psychotherapy uh, are organizing frameworks. They're ways of seeing not only the individuals and, and the societies and the groups that we meet, uh, but also how we think about what a problem is, what a solution is, what the practice of therapy should look like. And so I think the best theories are ones that have an answer to those questions um, and have have a method that follows reasonably from from those answers. It's like that'd be the difference between um, psychology and like philosophy, right? <laughs> Actually providing um, actionable uh, ways of treatment. Right, yeah. having a praxis, having some kind of action in the world that is grounded in the theory. Okay, right, yeah, because like, you know, we understand existential theory, that's one of the looser ones, but existential therapy has to have some mode of solution, even if that might be a little bit loose. Um, that's a good way to put it. You can tell Galen has taught counseling classes before. <laughs> <laughs> like, that is way better than I could have described it. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking I'm probably coming at this is more of a philosopher than a therapist. <laughs> I don't think there's that much that's different between the two, especially no. what we're going to be talking about. So No, I just like not having to figure out the answers to my questions. <laughs> <laughs> right, absolutely. And I think in, in many ways, uh, philosophy has always been interested in, in consciousness and mm -hmm. in wellness. And I think that uh, over the last couple centuries, philosophy has pulled a lot from the experience that therapists have brought and psychologists and psychiatrists have brought to these questions of the mind. And, and I think it's reciprocal that therapists like to have ideas about how the mind works, how consciousness works, and that informs therapy itself. Definitely. But yeah, like Della said, there, there also needs to be a way to take to make that actionable when you step into a room with a client, how it's good to have a lens you're, you're using. And you don't have to use one lens, obviously. You know, a lot of therapists are integrative. I mean, I think they should be, honestly. That's my personal opinion with my minimal experience. But um, you want to know how you're viewing the world when you're viewing that client. So that determines what you think would help them what you think needs to change. Um, there right, and like, so you mentioned yeah. the, the lenses of analytic psychology or Jungian psychology, which is one of the more kind of foundational theories of personality, theories of counseling and art therapy, and also existential humanistic, which is a little bit more recent. Um, maybe do you want to introduce some of the tenets of those Frameworks, Tori? 
yeah, let's let's do that because I think we're gonna try to talk about um yeah how we would how we would use these with Batman, old Batman, old Batman, crafting <laughs> problem for our times. I, know, I, I right? like talking all serious then bringing it back to Batman. It makes <laughs> I me know. Happy. <laughs> back to <It's> Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> what about yeah, we Bruce? Had... <laughs> In our last, um, in episode 144, where we talked about this fic before, we had a whole discussion about how he calls himself Batman, so we should call him Batman, um, even Batman. though in Batman Beyond, there's a, a new, younger Batman. <laughs> so just to clarify, that's why I keep saying old Batman. Yeah, I, identity politics is hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, okay. I feel like this is a lot of me talking, but that's probably <laughs> for the best, since I'm getting graded on this. Um, <laughs> we want yeah. So I, we, uh, I want to like Jungian is just kind of an obvious one for fiction. I think most people are familiar with Jungian archetypes, but like Jung was also a psychiatrist and he was a follower of Freud, but then he sort of went, well, Freud, your psychosexual stages and that's kind of creepy. And I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's a good way to display Jung, right? But he did believe that in the collective unconscious and that there are these universal archetypes and that's why the hero appears in fiction. And I think some of the ones people don't know as much are the anima and animus, which are kind of the essentially respectively female and male sides of the psyche that are present in all people. Um, I don't know how I feel about that one, but fine. Um, and the shadow, which usually represents like repressed qualities and emotional blind spots, like the things we're not seeing. So I'm that's, getting, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting Persona 4 flashbacks. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's so perfect for Batman. Um, but Jung was known to kind of do any any intervention. Like he would sing, dance, pray with his clients, like anything that he thought would work. Um, and I think that had a lot to do with kind of the, I don't know, the kind of spiritual nature of how he viewed the world. Um, he His main kind of concept was that like, everyone is seeking homeostasis, like some sort of psychological homeostasis, like, and that it's self-regulating. But in that sense, we're compensating for what's unbalanced. So the archetypes, therefore, that are, are in our heads, like you could have an unbalanced, like just to make it simple, too much animus and not enough of the anima, right? You're oh, there, you're hyper-masculine, you know, you're, you're using too much of this archetype and it's not balancing within yourself. Um, uh, I'm trying to think if I should add anything else to that. Oh, yeah. The therapist is usually viewed as kind of like a guide through the psyche. Like it's it's client directed as well, which is not very Freudian. But it is still early in that psychoanalytical perspective. So like Jung was analyzing his clients. He was saying like, I think that you have this problem, except that his interventions were more like, um, let's beat some drums and do a handstand. <laughs> okay, that might be a little loose. He, he did some very serious stuff as well, but. I think that kind of sums it up. Yeah, I'll just say uh, analytic psychology remains alive and vibrant, and mm. that people practice from um, at the institutional level. There are institutes of union studies that are still um, developing and evolving, and that a lot of art therapists are drawn to Jung in that he went through these different phases of more analytical thinking and creative work. He had mm. a creative and some would say psychotic break mid through life. 
and that that um, led to an, an immense period of artistic expression and that he used um, creativity and image in his work, not just through archetypes, but through mm-hmm. literally through painting and, and through gradual artistic processes. Yeah, wasn't he very interested in mandala making? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. He was interested in, in comparative religion, mm-hmm. and anthropology, and trying to kind of look at the psyche from beyond the, the lens of his immediate surroundings. Yeah I, yeah, I understand why that's so appealing to an art therapist, right? Um, and another thing I forgot to mention is like he wanted to bring like I mentioned it with archetypes, but he wanted to bring like the unconscious to consciousness. So like there's a universal, you know, unconscious, mm-hmm. but there's, you know, it, it needs to come forward and it comes forward in those archetypes. And that's how like people achieve like integration of their psyche. Right. He had a sort Which of spiritual cool yeah. <laughs> mentality of the unconscious. Right. Okay. So let's start with Batman. We can draw directly from this fanfic old Batman, or we can draw from other Batman media we know. But like, considering what we know about Jung and Jungian philosophy, um, what, how, how would we, if Batman, I don't know, maybe he's finally got arrested, had some court mandated art therapy or like therapy or something. This doesn't have to be specifically art therapy, but we can definitely do that. Mm-hmm. Um, how would we kind of use Jung's theories what would we think the prob the problem is, quote unquote, and how would we deal with Batman here? Um, as a novice, just off the bat, you mentioned um integration behind mm-hmm. like someone's um inner life and what they project in the outer life, mm-hmm. and there there's a big gap between Batman and Bruce Wayne, and even uh Batman at at home with people that that they're close to. And how they interact with the world, and I think it's something that they probably put up as a as a child as sort of a coping mechanism for all their grief, and that hasn't been worked on since then. <laughs> so maybe they are. Oh yeah, I think a lot of pieces of media have shown that, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at Batman's world to begin with. You wonder um, when when Batman enters therapy or art therapy. Uh, is he doing so under duress? Because you shouldn't see a lot of examples of that. Um, but, yeah. I mean, say that he does come to therapy, that he, there's a, uh, he comes by his own volition. He lives in a world of archetypes to start with. He has um, his persona, right? And you think of the shadow as being sort of the unknown elements of the unconscious in oneself that can sort of be constellated, but he lives in this sort of dreamlike world already. And so I think uh, he's got his own myth. He has grief and loss. He has so much that I think a Jungian analyst would have insight into right off the bat. What I think is interesting is that like, so I came at Young from being in an English majoring English teacher. I came at archetypes from that lens for a long time. So I can't help but think of like Batman on the hero's journey. But I also think a lot of the shadow because Batman is 
it's clear to the audience what he's denying in himself, but it doesn't seem like it's clear to him. I think that comes out too in this fanfic, like maybe in a bit of a different way. But even that first line, he's learned how to suppress the lump in his throat when watching Terry. I interpreted that as the lump in his throat comes from him not being Batman anymore, but he sees it as the lump in his throat. He doesn't express his grief over not being Batman, right? And I think in the fanfic, he's holding the the grief of loss. I think the grief of aging, he's talking about his his heart flutter as being the, the reason that he can't go on in his job. And I think Jung and his uh, analytic psychology in general was sort of an early pioneer in looking at the development of the self throughout the whole lifespan, not just looking at mm. adulthood as being sort of the center of rationality and, and the termination of development, but really looking at how the self emerges from the unconscious, grows and shifts throughout life. And so um, there's a metaphor that Jung uses of the stages of life being like the, the rise and setting of the sun, that the early adulthood is the morning of life, and later adulthood is the afternoon of life. And he has mm. this, this quote that the afternoon of life is just as full of meaning as the morning, only its meaning and purpose are different. And he sort of talks about, in his spiritual sense, that older adulthood is about coming to terms with death and seeing death as the, the fulfillment of a spiritual purpose. And so you have that sort of Christian worldview. And I'm not sure if Batman has any sort of spiritual or theological perspective. I think you would know more about that than I do, but I think you would be very interested in Batman's spirituality or, or theology. What I think is interesting is I don't think Batman, um, even Batman's world doesn't, it, usually in most of the media, doesn't talk too much about spirituality, except maybe tangentially. But I think Batman does sort of have his own spirituality. Like he has a faith in his vigilante, like his vigilanteism, that him being Batman is this iconic thing for him. Um, to the I think to the point of a a spiritual idea, if that makes sense. But it even has its like its own um tenets and stuff. Like you're not allowed to use guns. Mm -hmm. Like even though you're still just inflicting the violence just differently, but it's just because guns in whatever metaphor he set up is um, evil, yeah. as opposed to what he's doing. <laughs> right. It's interesting to me, just in the sense that you have this man who. In, reaction to the early life trauma losing his parents he sort of confronts this shadow and this darkness in the cave literally and he's he decides to sort of integrate or make peace with with this dark side of himself and use that to fight crime but really i mean <laughs> there's a kind of a an immaturity there that he's addressing he's reacting to violence with violence mm -hmm. and that he he doesn't connect or he doesn't he's isolated from the world right and he doesn't try to use his money or his connections or his ridiculous technology to collaborate at all that he tries to take it all on, on himself 
right? Yeah, it, it's interesting because like you're talking about old Batman, like not feeling like Batman anymore because he can't do the physical stuff. But like, if you talk about Batman, the character of Batman is yeah, an, uh, a an action hero, but Batman's a detective. Like mm. his mind and his investigative abilities and his abilities to process and to plan are really what set him apart. And he could still do that kind of irrespective of his physical capabilities at any time. But once that's gone, he sees himself as not Batman anymore. That's a good point, because he still does all of that in Batman Beyond. Mm-hmm. And it does help him, Like he, but he's kind of using Terry as a vehicle to re-Batman again. Like, yeah. he doesn't need to create a new Batman that he literally pilots from his control room, right? I mean, not literally pilots, but he's always talking in Terry's ear and watching him when he does Batman stuff. Yeah. Well, you could argue that's training, but you could also argue uh, it's, uh, yeah, voyeuristic. It's <laughs> uh, it's like him trying to relive, uh, trying to keep living that same life. Like, he's stuck in that mode. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly how... Young would think of that, except that, like, there's definitely some unconscious, conscious integration, like you mentioned, Della, that needs to happen. Yeah, because, like, he sees Batman as the physical violence. That's what he believes it is. Mm. Right. And that's twisted. <laughs> For sure. Put it nice. <laughs> but I think, uh, I, I guess when I think about the older men clients that I've worked with in the past, I think that's one of the great challenges and tests for an art therapist is somebody who um, is not necessarily ready to jump in to the messiness of art therapy and someone who is more guarded and may be suspicious of the therapist. So I think the the question of in a, a Jungian model of how you would work, beginning with humility and uh, Jung talked about learn the best theories, learn the best methods, and then forget it all when you're face-to-face with the patient. Mm-hmm. Because the first thing I think that has to happen in therapy is to establish some, uh, a relationship and some buy-in. And I think that's an enormous test for a therapist, somebody who's closed off and guarded and suspicious. I mean, you look at Arkham Asylum, I don't think young or old Batman is going to jump into the therapy session ready to go. Oh, no. Uh, we talked about this last episode that, like, um, the view of uh, psychosis and who is available as a, 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 a <laughs> therapist in the Batman universe are not... They're not good, right? Right. Yeah. Let's. I heard someone online Sorry, mention... I said psychosis. I just meant mental illness. I don't know. My brain's not working. Right. Anyway. I heard somewhere online mention that they thought that... It, the uh, whole Batman world metaphor is sort of a um, with Arkham Asylum and anything the real bad guy of the series is lack of um, institutional help like they get thrown into these prisons and no one gets really taken seriously there, there's no therapy there's no rehabilitation everything is locked away that's kind right. of the it's, philosophy it's in the Batman stereotype universe. of the residential treatment of, yeah yeah and and it's rooted in, in real sort of atrocious conditions mm-hmm. right but it, it's oh, yeah. also a stereotype and it sort of plays on that as well and i think also you know he's this rich guy i read that he's the treasurer of a museum in gotham and so he also has that uh vision of art as being a commodity mm. and you know <laughs> something professional that 
that he might not be in touch with as well. So another challenge for the art therapist. Oh, for sure. I think you'd really have to work with smaller steps to, and and Jung beings having that sort of same psychoanalytic perspective would encourage talk therapy, or I mean, Jung would encourage almost anything. Jung, Jungian, the Jungian lens isn't going to be like, oh no, we need to focus only on art or we can't, or we have to be a specific way. Um, so you could start the sessions with a lot of, well, Batman doesn't like to talk either. I don't know. I think I would start him off with art therapy. It'd probably just be like, I don't want to do this, but you'd just be like, well, okay, <laughs> do it anyway. Did Batman design his own suit? Mm. His own um, logo, his own uh, customized weapons? Because that sounds yeah. like, that's artistic, right? He, Ooh, yeah. That's you, logo design, that's costume design. You come in it from that lens and, and you like don't say we're making art. You say like we're going to design something useful, like a right. useful well, tool, right? I think the question too is you have somebody who I think he rightfully feels that his time is very valuable and that his that his time is better spent fighting battles that he can fight than kind of confronting. I think he's stoic in that sense that he he thinks that it's a sign of weakness to stop and to mourn. I but what I actually I think is much more interesting in this fanfic is that uh, you have this humanization of this character and mm -hmm. you have in this later life more reflective. I think Jung believes in change over time and that kind of there is potential to revisit one's life, revisit one's ideas and to mature and grow regardless of what stage you're in. And I think that if the therapist could connect with any of this internal dialogue of this love lost, that I think um, there would be so much rich work that could be done. It's just a matter of setting the stage for, for that to come out, if that makes sense. Mm. He talks about, I, I wish I could just pick up the phone or the kind yeah. of apprehension that, that really these are some kind of very common feelings that older adults experience that they have these last relationships, right? True, true. Yeah, like everybody branches off, does their own thing. You know, I was just, <laughs> it's a total tangent, but I was just like, what if we used like a systems theory to talk about Batman? Um to be clear, systems theory like doesn't treat um they don't they don't treat like one person as the client. They can treat like the whole family. So like you like the whole family. Like what needs to change in the bat family? <laughs> and that would be so interesting. But let's not do that right now. It's just it's an interesting idea, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like talking about Batman's found family. He constructs for himself later in life, and there's been different fictions that interpret it differently, where they talk about it more like a family. Yeah. In fact, I'm following a fun webcomic about the Bat Family adventures, which kind of show a really like healthy family dynamic between all of them, which is really fun to see. <laughs> oh my gosh. See, that's so different from like, you know, to be fair, like we're talking about more recent Batman media, mm -hmm. more DC animated universe stuff and like comics like The Killing Joke, like stuff where it's it's not as uh, fun and lighthearted as Batman and Robin, you know, right. uh, the old TV show, which was so campy. Or like the early detective comics where Batman was just like, 
I'm a fun, well, kind of a dark detective, but he didn't yeah. have as much angst, angst, <laughs> however you say that. Exactly like that. You got it. <laughs> There's a, a quote from Young about love. In preparation for this, I read one of his lectures, which was the love problem of a student, because I was thinking about how really Dick Grayson was in some ways Batman's student or his protege. And the quote is, love is always a problem, whatever our age may be. In childhood, the love of one's parents is a problem. And for the old man, the problem is what he has made of his love. Love is a force of destiny whose power reaches from heaven to hell. And I thought that was sort of appropriate because he's so tormented <laughs> yeah. by this, this lost love and what he's made of it, right? Mm. Yeah. And it's true because that's just kind of a theme in Batman's life is losing people he cares about, like not even to death, though um, Jason Todd died. No, who died? Which Robin died? One of them died. Uh, I think it was J Jason. It was Jason, right? Yeah. I just got confused because like, I think in Batman Beyond, Jason Todd's still alive. Anyway, it depends on your continuity well, but like he's lost people to death but he and he's like you know barbara gordon's paralysis like he lost her as batgirl and then he also but he's also just lost people like dick when dick became nightwing he just sort of like peaced out um any yeah. sort of um like on-screen romantic relationships he's been a part of has involved some sort of bad circumstance like the the paired up with a quote-unquote villain that he's ideologically opposed to Mm -hmm. And they never work past that, but they just keep going at it. <laughs> I think if I were old Batman's art therapist, and I think we can maybe move on to the existential, but I would assume that he has deep wells of experience and intelligence. And I would go, I would go into metaphor and say, if, mm. if we came to the, po the point where, he had acknowledged all of these people that he's lost, I would say something along the lines of, let's create something that reflects an apology. What is it that, mm. that you've done that's, that, that you hold and you carry with you? What, what, where's the guilt? Where's the, yeah. um, where's the loss? And how can you create something that's an apology? Because I think that he's done so much He's made so many mistakes that haunt him, right? And that mm -hmm. creating something that would sort of acknowledge those mistakes might be something positive for him. Yeah, I do wonder, though, um, I think that's great because it sort of like holds space, but for that grief, which he really does need to express. But I think, yeah, you'd have to be very like directive and careful with it because it's clear that Batman's grief is a deep well that has yet to be unstopped, you know? Absolutely. Um, yeah. It's, there's this great part, I mentioned this in our previous, in episode 144, but I'm going to say it again. In Batman Beyond, there's just scenes of him sitting, because Alfred's dead, obviously, he got too old. So he's sitting alone in a dark dining room at a giant table, just eating off a single plate. And it's dark in the room. And they they're that's just it, you know. Yeah, just that's sitting there his life. <laughs> waiting to be visited by the ghost of Christmas past, present, yeah, and future. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh right. I mean he's he's not doing any of the things that we would associate with healthy aging, interdependence, 
mm-hmm. immunity connection, generativity, and he's sort of just doubling down on on paranoia. But I feel like and and action, right? But mm-hmm. at the same at the same time, I think I would have to try to meet him at the level he's used to operating on, and then mm-hmm. if he's kind of willing to go to even think about because i don't think he wants to think about his own health necessarily right yeah but for sure. somebody who I punches people might, he doesn't think about himself mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i think that might be a good segue to the existential humanistic what do you think that's true um i do want to say first this is part of the reason i don't think like a solution focused or like cognitive behavioral therapy would work for batman like he really needs to dig into that inner stuff and he's not going to come into therapy with like saying what he wants to change because he doesn't want to right. change he's fine yeah and he's able to disconnect himself enough where he could in theory outwardly change but still be the same internally and mm-hmm. not grow or progress at all yeah that's also fair <laughs> i'm not speaking from experience i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> yeah. yeah i think sometimes when you have somebody who is is pretty resistant to therapy itself i think it can be a bold strategy to rather than sort of kind of softly roll into therapy to really go pow, right? Like Batman goes pow. I think he would kind of need to do that. Just Mm -hmm. really kind of jump Mm. into it and, and go deep. But, you know, obviously this is a fictional character, but I, (laughs) I think that there can be a quality of, of being really action oriented that art therapy can bring to to therapy in, in a really interesting way mm. for people who are themselves action oriented like, like just doing something not just talking about it like making yeah. something physical well yeah, yeah that's that's part of the expressive therapy it's like we that's the reason these new fields have come up because like it's all started with talk therapy with the psychoanalysis and now we're going some people don't talk some people can't talk <laughs> some people don't want to talk mm-hmm. so we have dance therapy movement therapy art therapy we we don't need talking to be a part of it. Though, to be fair, I think talking is kind of a part of some of, of Jungian stuff and some of the other stuff. Well, it's a whole on, ecosystem. But... It's a whole ecosystem yeah. of therapists bringing their strengths. And I think mm-hmm. um, it's true. One thing, I had a, a Jungian supervisor who helped me to interpret my dreams in relation to clients. And so mm. that's one example dream work and there are definitely dreams and nightmares that happen in the batman series but you know it it comes down to who the therapist is what their strong suits are etc yeah i think that's a good transition to talking about like another therapeutic lens i want to talk about a little bit which is existential human existential humanistic let me enunciate (laughs) and like to be clear, there's there's existentialism is more of a philosophy than a direct therapeutic stance, which is why I wanted to kind of take the the humanistic lens on it, which is, you know, if anyone's ever read Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, I think that's kind of your good start point there. Um, Frankl was in a concentration camp and he observed that like, you know, people were walking through the concentration camp giving their their last food to other people. So he kind of became a humanist in the sense that he he believed that humans are inherently good. Another element of humanism is kind of the the search for self-actualization. So if we're talking about psychopathology here, it's humanistic in the sense like people people are good. They want to self-actualize. And it's existential in the sense that 
I think you can kind of break existentialism down into these four base components um, when you're talking about therapy or, um, or psychology. It's like there's inherent meaningless to, meaninglessness, meaninglessness to life. Now, that doesn't, it sounds negative, but it's not. It just means that like you, you make your meaning, right? There's inherent aloneness. We have no inherent connection to other people. That doesn't mean you can't make your own connections. Um, death is the reality of life. And the last one is um, freedom. Our choice to go to work every day is our choice, even if it doesn't feel like it. So a big part of existential therapy is encouraging people to accept these truths. Somewhat conditional because existentialism doesn't like to be like hard <laughs> truth. It's very phenomenological in that it believes that knowledge is constructed from human experience. Um, yeah, I think that kind of sums it up, right? Do you want to add something to that, Galen? Right. I would. I would say that in general, existentialism emerges in reaction to the horrors and devaluation of humanity in the 20th century. Mm -hmm. And that I think there's actually a, a interesting analogy between the absurdity of the horrors that people go through in war and particularly the, the world wars. And you look at Gotham and you see this sort of pervasive, absurd um, <laughs> scenario where there are all these villains who don't stay put away um, and so there's sort of a Sisyphusian existence that Batman leads where he's mm -hmm. constantly striving and yet it feels like he's surrounded by um, chaos, right? Right, yeah. And he, I think that's, that's a good point. Like, sort of does Batman ever, yeah, yeah. Batman never, is never gonna get that boulder all the way up the hill. Like that's just not gonna happen. At least if he did, then the story wouldn't exist anymore. <laughs> well, also, okay. he's going about it in a very indiv individualistic way where he personally on the street needs to do it and not like through his huge multi-billion national, international corporation fixed inherent problems. You know, he mm. like he still thinks he needs to punch it. <laughs> yeah. And these are problems that can't be fixed that way, just hands down. And I don't think Batman has acknowledged any of those four things I just talked about. No. Like, not even his own death, even though you would think that that's something that's on his mind. I don't think he's accepted it, especially not in Batman Beyond. Like, he talks, he doesn't even want to accept that he's getting older, you know? Yeah, in the beginning of Batman Beyond, he didn't want to stop being Batman until he was forced to break one of his own tenets. And that was the only thing that, that made him reevaluate reconsider any part of his life oh yeah that's true that's kind of that's kind of interesting right because he's constructed meaning for his life as if it is inherent meaning mm -hmm. being batman and that whole not using guns piece and that's why he turned away from being batman is because batman doesn't use guns, guns. Yeah, yeah batman doesn't use guns so if he violates this tenant then he's violated i don't know his purpose in life i guess yeah Right. There's sort of a, a sense that this is a, a existentialist agent, right? That he is aware of death and that he's uh, confronted or at least uh, despite 
his wishes, he was confronted with the death of his parents and that he sees, uh, uh, he experiences loss all the time. Mm-hmm. So I think the role of the, the therapist or the art therapist is an interesting one for this older Batman who's experienced so much loss and yet he's still clinging to acting to try to, to fight against all of the, the evil that he sees. That's that's interesting because I still, yeah, I think that the fact that he fights against the evil because of his parents' death means that he hasn't accepted death as a reality, like not even the death of his parents. Um, the Harley Quinn TV show, he tries to bring them back as zombies, which is obviously <laughs> supposed to be comedic and tongue in cheek, but it's not it's not unrealistic. Well, he doesn't try to bring them back as zombies, but that's how it ends up going. And then he doesn't acknowledge that they are zombies for the longest time or that he's created a zombie plague. And I'm like, that's, yeah. (laughs) I do, I do buy that for Batman. Well, because like, he talks about existentialism is like accepting that like, death exists, right? Mm. And like, yeah. In the same sort of vein, like evil exists. But Batman's job is to stop evil, is to be there when evil is there. So he's trying to kind of erase one of these fundamental truths of the the world and right. kind of like and stop death itself. I think a part of it is confronting the anxiety that comes from not acknowledging our own finitude. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. in a way, first of all, there's a question of how realistic his consistency is and 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 all this but Mm. i also think he's when i work with the client um something that has been hammered into me and that i've taken away time and time again is that many of the people that i work with have experienced things that are radically different than anything i've ever experienced and that there is an existential confrontation every time that I work with a client who has experienced a loss far greater than anything I've experienced, has experienced a betrayal far greater than anything I've experienced. Um, and, and so I think, in a way, the existential therapist should be humble in, in hearing the story of the individual that they're working on, acknowledge the universal difficulties of the world, but also to know that this is somebody who has interfaced with his own subjectivity and his own losses in a way that I I would never have experienced. And he's living in this absurd world full of, mm-hmm. you know, crime and super vi- villains, you know, a state that is not reacting. You just have police that are reacting, but but really you would think that the whole nation would come together against all of these these criminals instead of just you know the local law enforcement and all this but just to say more more generally that this is somebody who's experiencing a world um that i have never interfaced with like if we're talking about how Mm. crazy batman's world is in relation to like his acceptance of like universal truths i mean in batman's life like the lazarus pit exists (laughs) You know, you can literally fight death. <laughs> yeah, but it, like, takes your soul away, right? Right, so, right. Yeah. But, like, there's a chance, though, right? <laughs> I guess that's fair, too. Um, We right. might be... But I, I think that does align with existentialism as well, because these are conditional truths. Like, mm-hmm. 
it's not truth with a capital T. It's not like this is what is fundamentally true. But like, I guess what I would say is, yes, Batman's world is constructed differently. But I don't think that takes away from existential perspectives in our world because existentialism is all existentialism is always like open to the idea that these are not true things we're just using this as a foundational thing and so for batman yeah maybe his foundational truths are a little different because yeah you can cheat death but (laughs) yeah and i think if you look at for example frankel and man's search for meaning so much of the ramifications of being in such an absurd situation have to do with connecting with other people, the love that can be found, uh, the spirituality, um, finding a greater purpose through connection and nonviolence and through love. And you can see how that is really missing because with Batman, he, in this series, he's putting this other kid through the same sort of hell that he went through. And so I feel like there's a a lot of work for a therapist to help him to Mm. see how he's helping to kind of perpetuate this this dark world, right? Rather than connecting with others, isolating and and turning away. The cycle of abuse, isn't it? Well, like, that's how he expresses his love. Like, that's the best way in, in Batman Beyond, like, Terry's the closest person in his life, and that's the best way he has to express love is to praise him on being a good Batman (laughs) and train him more. The way he shows love is to Batman someone. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Right, the sort of guidance and paternal support that he always wanted, right, that he was missing. And at the same time, there's there's just a... (laughs) Yeah, the cycle of abuse, I think, is a great way to frame it. Did he Batman instead of parental love in his life? Do you think that's fair to say? <laughs> yeah. It's like in his head, like parental love equals Batmaning. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, you know, that's an interesting question, which is probably getting away from the main point. But like, his parents died when he was like eight, right? He must have some uh, memories of what it was like to have parents. Right. But yeah, he's completely subverted it into. Right, it's essentially saying uh, because people can be lost, it's better to turn away from people, to not connect, mm. and to, to isolate, right? Mm-hmm. And that way you're not going to be, you're not going to lose if you, you don't love in the first place. So how would like existential therapists deal with like trauma like that? I think it would be very uniquely individual but like i think there is an element of like that acceptance right like Mm. you walk through that trauma and you say like you don't necessarily have to say say but like you what you're working through is well why you know that anxiety galen pointed out to really well is that these four things give us anxiety like the anxiety of feeling like there's no freedom but there is or finding meaning but there is and the anxiety of confronting death so like i think you'd you'd walk through those basic components of of that sort of anxiety like what are the building blocks that are causing that tension and anxiety if that makes sense right because all this stuff happened in the past but this is causing um present continuous and future anxiety 
which is the incongruent part. Yeah, the goal is acceptance, right? Right. Um, and I think returning to this fan fiction, you have through all of the chaos, it's it's almost like he found love in the war, right, with his fellow soldier, his protege. Mm-hmm. I that's how I read it. Is that he fell in love with his sidekick, right, and through all these battles. Um, and yet he is unable to turn back to that. He's unable to try to fix or mend that relationship. And that instead it's just continuing the fight. And so he's, he has awareness of loss and of death and of the responsibility to act. I think he does a great job validating that he's taking steps to act in the face of the time he has left, his physical condition, that he still has his purpose, what he, he might consider altruism, right? Acting, sacrificing his own self for the greater good. All of these values could be existential. I'm kind of wondering if he has any good memories. Like, I know good stuff has happened to him in the past, but I'm wondering if he contextualizes anything that's happened in the past as good. Like, it seems to me that anytime he remembers something, it's um, angsty <laughs> to not have a different word for it. But, like, mm-hmm. it's always uh, longing or regret or tragedy. He doesn't remember anything good that's happened in a good context. I think it's, the, in in a way, it's also that stoicism. Right. Uh, not allowing himself to attach to positive emotions because they're temporary and distracting. Right. And that right. can kind of lead back to like um, toxic masculinity and stuff like that. Yeah, the, <laughs> the masculine persona. I mean, I think in a way, Batman is a, a very poor role model mm-hmm. in terms of masculinity, in terms of feeling, how wonderful would it be to have <laughs> a new Batman movie that has this internal monologue, this <laughs> reflective... Uh, human, you know, um, tender internal monologue, even if it's reflective. Yeah. And did you watch the uh, the, the Robert the Pattinson Super- Batman that came out? No, I didn't. The new one. Yeah, to have something like that because that'd be pretty wonderful. Well, kind of in a in the, like in the different way. Where like Batman had that Batman has these problems, but it shows him as like being maladjusted because of that. This is, this is a Batman that is not doing well because he's doing these Batman things. Right. I think that's always been kind of a part of Batman is like, you. it's the darkness. Like, we're drawn to the darkness. Like, why Joker is so appealing, even though he's just, you know, this kind of bonkers murderer. He's got this attraction to Batman and it's this dark and light archetype stuff but it's also just like we want to see somebody's pathos like that's part of the draw we want to see the darkness um it's intriguing uh and so that's part i think of what makes batman such a compelling like figure is the darkness and the pathos that batman has what's using the darkness for the good right that's kind of Mm -hmm. that well, we, yeah, we can still see him as a hero, but we still get to see, yeah, all of this kind of repressed emotional trauma and 
I don't know. It's dramatic, right? Right. It's inherently dramatic. Well, Galen was talking about how Batman is such a poor role model. And that's mm. true because, like, the way Batman excels is by being naturally intelligent, by being um, endowed with a lot of riches, and with being six foot something, 300 pounds of pure muscle. Mm. You know, these are all inherent things that are kind of treated as like <laughs> yeah. ideals you could expire, uh, you, you could. Um, work towards but these are all in, in inherited traits he's like the perfect synthesis of like really two the of the worst role models for like how to be <laughs> a loving and kind and connected human sherlock holmes mm -hmm. who is so smart and you gotta admire him for that so you just like can't knock him right yeah um, and an action hero who's like so <laughs> talented and brave and, and courageous tough and strong and, and tough and there's so many admirable qualities, but what these figures have in common is like zero emotional connection, like or emotional awareness, uh, awareness of anything outside of, I don't know, I guess they're very cerebral, um, analysis of the external world. Like they, they analyze people mm -hmm. and they, combat these people but they never turn internally yeah I, I i've always loved batman media since i was a little kid i i enjoy i enjoy new stuff coming out i have never uh wanted to be batman <laughs> I, I don't think anybody should look up to batman i don't think it's the interesting thing about this character at all <laughs> but batman's so cool batman is cool but he's weird <laughs> for sure yeah and needs to talk to somebody about his problems <laughs> but i think a wonderful character to think about in therapy because this is just the test of a good therapist is someone who can <laughs> work with somebody who has all these layers of pain right. and yet so much so few words to express it right mm. so i think it's been really fun to think about what different models of therapy and art therapy might be useful to this character yeah it's been hard not to imagine like a therapist asking a Batman question and just you just get the eyes narrowing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Batman obviously showed up to therapy wearing the Batman costume, <laughs> right? Like not as Bruce Wayne. Even not better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Even of course better. he did. He's not going to disclose his identity, right? Think about <laughs> it. It's like Batman has quarter point therapy, not Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't, you know, read a lot of Batman or, or followed a lot of Batman, but I see, I see him on these covers of comics holding like the, the dying robin and he's he he's, has this breakthrough of emotion and i feel like if batman yeah. were to show up in therapy he would be after a through kind of horrific experience right right maybe you know i feel like that's the time when he retreats the most right but <laughs> right i mean how realistic would it be but i'm just saying imagine that because I think often therapists will have clients come who may not be ready and yet something has brought them in the door. Oh, I see. Right. Hypothetically, think, if Batman were ever to seek a therapist, got yeah. it. <laughs> it's yeah. just when the, the person's at their lowest point. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And then you start to work through <laughs> these these years where it would have been helpful to have been in therapy, but you weren't. And so you kind of, kind of, peel back the layers and go back to what it is to be Bruce Wayne at, at all these different stages of life. Something I did want to mention before I forget is like 
an element of existential therapy is epoke. I'm probably not saying that right, but it's the like this idea of being like present and being one and being with. So really just like being in the moment is probably a good way to describe it, but it's also just sort of encompassing the moment. And I think that that, because the existentialist, the existential therapist doesn't view themselves as like an analyst or anyone who is higher or lower hierarchy with the client. They just, I think that applies equally to the therapist and client. So I feel like it would be very interesting to be in a, a present moment with Batman, right? Like, what does that look like? Um, anyway, just thoughts. And I think if you, my model for art therapy typically follows the expressive therapies continuum, mm -hmm. where you think about where is an individual most comfortable in terms of how they think about problems. You look at mm -hmm. Batman with that stoicist sort of rationality and that control is very important for Batman. I think in terms of art therapy, a very powerful um, application of art therapy would be gradually shifting away from the more controlled media and more controlled conceptual oh, um, content and therapy uh, to the more uncontrolled, to the more fluid, to the, the messiness um, in media. And that, that could be a very difficult process. Like splatter paints or what? <laughs> no, I mean, that's sort of the opposite end of the spectrum. But having a way of, in a respectful manner, because I think he he would need respect for everything mm -hmm. that he's done, um, mo allowing him to experience this gradual loss of control and yeah. letting that be the means of moving into the more emotional or you could say unconscious space for him i i think that's an that's why you're a good art therapist galen <laughs> that's that's a great one because it's like batman's whole thing is control control over life control over his purpose control over situations so you could even see that from the same existential lens that that gradual shifting towards a, a lack of control leads to some of that acknowledgement of kind of, you know, lack of meaning, you know, lack of control over life, basically. Yeah, if we're talking about um, old Batman um, in Batman Beyond, the fact that he's trying to exert so much control over Terry is always a point of tension throughout the, mm. the series. Right, right. That he, he really is. Um, he controls his life. He doesn't let people in. And so... Yeah, yeah, and tries to tell Terry how to Batman, as in this is the way you Batman. Mm -hmm. And like at the end of like the the Joker movie, Terry has that real realization like, wait, that's not how I Batman. I, I Batman like Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I, I crack jokes. <laughs> yeah, we identified that last time. <laughs> well, because that would be another deep dive. Because that was Joker's whole complaint was like, you're acting not like I want Batman to act. <laughs> Now let's psychoanalyze Joker. Go. I mean, they're 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 codependent, right? They're... They are. I mean, well, that would be in a systems theory, right? Joker would definitely be part of the family system. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Joker would be part of the family system. Yep. Right, because in a way, my sense is that Joker believes that everybody is monstrous on the inside, and he wants mm -hmm. people masks to come off. Right. Whereas yeah. Batman oh, wants to. Well, I was just gonna say wear the mask. 
and sort of protect himself in that way. Joker right. wants all the masks to come off. Yeah. But that, yeah, that's like the killing joke to a T. Because, like, I'm always been one of those people who argues that Batman actually kills Joker at the end of Killing Joke. Oh, yeah, he definitely does. Yeah, right? Some people, like, hate it when I say that. But anyway. Well, I don't think it's a good ending, but he definitely does. In that. I think it's a great ending because Joker wins by dying at Batman's hand. Yeah. And, yeah, it's a little bit simple, but it's, I don't know, maybe I just love how gorgeous the art is. End of story. It is pretty. Yeah. And... <laughs> I don't know, any final thoughts, y'all? I know this has been kind of a trip and I appreciate you going on it with me. <laughs> I've been happy to be here and be a part of it. Thank you. I'm just kind of happy not to ruin the <laughs> the conversation between two experts. <laughs> nah, I mean, you're a fanfic expert, Della, and that's half of what we're doing this podcast for. Can I put that on my resume? I mean, if you want to. <laughs> I don't control your life. <laughs> you have to write it down on a piece of paper first. Uh, I'm out. <laughs> Blank piece of paper is my biggest nemesis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's why you always have the tablet. Yeah. <laughs> Can't use paper. I get it. Okay. Well, so normally we end an episode by talking about what we most, what we wanted to complain about the fan fiction and then what we wanted to praise. Um, now we Della and I already had the opportunity to do this in our last episode. Um, so I think what I will do is open it up to all three of us. What do we want to complain or praise about either the fan fiction or the episode we just recorded? <laughs> Not Bruce Wayne's psyche itself. Oh, that could be <laughs> you know what? Let's just keep it open ended. It's all existential up in here. Um, yeah. What do we want to complain about about the fanfic, um, the conversation we just had, or Bruce Wayne's psyche. <laughs> Go. Uh, I think Bruce could be happy if he tried. And that makes me sad that he doesn't. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> I just think there's always more, more ways of looking at the same person or piece of fiction so it's not really a complaint it's just mm -hmm. um, just knowing there are other lenses we could look at as well it's more of just a um, a compliment to the process yeah Galen I was basically going to say the same thing I just felt like there's so much more we could have uncovered and maybe I shouldn't have limited us but I feel <laughs> like maybe by limiting us we uh we got I don't know. It was a little bit easier to talk about. But yeah, I, I would like to figure out a more integrative approach towards giving therapy to Bruce Wayne, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. yeah, I don't Bad really have therapy. any complaints. And I thought the fan fiction was was lovely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's end on praise. And like, Galen, if you want to praise a part of the fan fiction or whatever you want, go for it. I thought just generally the writing was good. It seemed like the what frustrates me most about DC is it feels so two-dimensional and it feels as though, and again, this is my own sort of outsider uh, lens, or at least it feels like the the themes themselves are, are very minimalistic, I should say. So mm -hmm. having this, I guess, this contrast between the 
strong kind of vigilante and his more reflective, nostalgic, um, kind of romantic reflections intruding in sort of almost the, the internal and the external happening. Um, and just that it was so short. I love that so much ground was covered in just a few pages. I thought that was some really nice writing. Yeah, I, I believe I praised both the strong writing and the conciseness of it last time. But Ditto. <laughs> yeah. But like, okay, but looking at it now through this lens, like it does make me realize how much this author was able to provide. Like, obviously, they had a large amount of material to draw from. Like, we, if you know Batman, right? Even if you didn't know Batman Beyond, if you just know the character of Batman, it was easy to pull this out. But like, I guess I'll repeat what I said before about this fanfic that I just realized is so strong. Is like, it still sounds like Batman, even though it's the internal emotional dialogue. And I think a lot of writers have just failed to do that. So that's my praise. I've been watching a little bit of the Batman the Animated Series recently. And, and I stopped after uh, Kevin Conroy died because the, the associated... Yeah. But the part about the Batman character that always surprises me that I forget about is Batman does have moments of levity, of jokes, of enjoying what they're doing. And like, I, I forget about because you, you always remember, I am the knight, you know, <laughs> but right. Batman is a character mm. that, that is able to find some joy in things and like maybe focus on that more. <laughs> yeah. I guess we failed to mention that I was all focused in on the darkness. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think that's the part that we like him as a character for. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. And I really wish we could just have more conversation from there. But <laughs> we should probably wrap up this episode, which was a very special episode of Retro Fanfic Retrospective. And, special. <laughs> yeah, very special. <laughs> and also a project of mine for my intro to counseling class. Thank you again, both of you, for doing this for me, and I appreciate it. Um, and I guess we'll close out with the extra, which I hope I can remember because <laughs> the motto normally does it. Okay. The fanfic for today was Only One Can Wear the Crown by Anime Goyle. Um, you can find a link to that in the show notes and it is also published on fanfiction.net. Um, the intro song to this podcast is The Weekly Fair from Popey's Incredible Adventure by Kwomiku. The outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. You can find that album and other works by Kwomiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. This podcast is edited by Della Rose, who is with, in the studio with us today. Mm -hmm. um, you can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. If you have questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode, contact us on Twitter at RetroFanfic, Facebook at RetroFanfic, or send us an email at RetroFanficRetrospective at gmail.com. You can also leave comments and reviews on Apple Podcasts or whatever other podcast listening service you use. Brilliant. Gold star. <laughs> Thank you. I tried. <laughs> I wrote it all down. I'm Tori. I'm Della. And I'm Galen. We're just three Earth lifeforms trying to provide therapy for a Batman in the cold, harsh light of 2022. Until next time, take care. Bye. Bye. <laughs> we did it. I don't know okay. what we did, but we did it. It happened. <laughs> that was fun. Bye.
Oh my gosh. Amato's job is harder than I thought. Yeah. 